with that, I'd like to welcome those watching online right now from coast to coast and across the Fruited Plains. My name's Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church, and if God puts it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you because you, you loved us first. You loved us first. You've been so good to us, so kind to us, so benevolent to us. We don't deserve you. Lord, today I, uh, I ask and we pray for our president. We pray a special grace upon him. We pray that you would protect him, uh, his health, his mental, physical capacities, Lord. Lord, help him to make good decisions. We pray that for all of our um, elected leaders, God. Lord, for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, those serving at home and abroad, we pray, Lord, of course, for their safety, but especially for their salvation. So many of those people are lost. Lord, they don't know you. Please save them. And for the persecuted church, for Leah Sherabu, being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria, and Pastor Yusuf imprisoned in Iran, and Pastor Wang and John imprisoned in China, and for the Christians, Lord, in North Korea and Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Eritrea, in the South Sudan, help them. And we, right now, remember those who are in chains as if in chains right alongside them. Help them, God. Help them, Jesus. And help us today. Help us today to hear from you. Just as Andrew was praying a few minutes ago, Lord, just whatever distractions or anxieties or things that are competing for our attention, can you just, Lord, just for the short time we have together, can you just free us from that? And encourage our hearts and help us just to hear. We just want to hear. We need you. We love you. Keep me from error. Help me to, to preach truthfully and accurately, to say only what you want me to say. If there's anything I shouldn't say, don't let me say it. And if there's something I need to say, then I pray for, for a word. I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit right now. Help us. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, here's what's going down. We're in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is part 43 of our journey through the book of Genesis. If you're joining us for the first time, we love expository preaching because it's awesome. In short, uh, that's where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book. So like the story just is very cumulative. It builds on it. And so this is the 43rd sermon I am preaching in Genesis. We are almost to the finish line. We are in chapter 48. And... Uh, Last week, Joseph was reunited with his family. God blessed him. God was good to him. God was kind to him. Remember, he was sold into slavery when he was 17 years of age, and now he's reunited with his father, and God gives him 17 more years with his father. And that's where we pick up today in chapter 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. And so he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to 
Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. If you knew that you only had, say, a month to live, how would you spend it? The reason I ask is because there are so many people who just aren't ready to meet God at all. Their life isn't in order. They have no plans. They have no clue. But if you were down to the the final quarter, final period, pick your sport, what would you do? The truth is, so many people have regrets at the end of their lives. And Piper wrote an entire book called Don't Waste Your Life. And for so many people, when they come to the end of their life, they find that they've wasted much of it. They find at the end of their life, they have many regrets. For some people, it's regretting not telling others how much they cared about them. And for others still, it's the regrets of not taking different chances in their life that they were presented with. Others regret not sharing the gospel when they had opportunities, wishing that they had been a better witness for Christ. It's not uncommon at all for many at the end of their lives to regret not spending more time with their families and with their friends who during their lives they put them on the back burner just because of their career. And now, for Joseph's dad, this season has arrived. Jacob is at the end of his life. And like Joseph, some of you have gotten this phone call before. You know exactly what this is like. You get the phone call and it says, Mom or Dad or some other family member, they don't have much time left. Some of you are going to get that phone call in the next month or two. And they say, you've got to come right now. You've got to get on a plane. You've got to come to the hospital. You've got to come say goodbye right now. They're, they're, they're not going to make it. And so Jacob, he calls for Joseph to come. In our day and age, Joseph would sort of be like the executor of the, the will. And Jacob is an old man. He's 147 years of age. And, and truthfully, Truthfully, Jacob has, he's wasted a lot of his life. He has. And yet, despite wasting much of his life, Jacob, who was really a major late bloomer when it came to his walk with God, at least here, at least now, he's doing the right thing. He's taking responsibility for his family right now. And I say that because sometimes the problems that we have here is because the previous generation didn't make the necessary preparations for the next generation. If it helps, use the, like, the example of a, a relay race. You run your lap in the relay race, but the race isn't necessarily over just because you finish your lap. Because it's not just about you running the lap, it's also about the handoff. It's also about the people that come behind you on the team running their race. In, in other words, the goal isn't achieved just because you run the leg of your race well. But rather, the goal is ultimately achieved by how well the others on your team run their laps and how well they run is impacted by the all-important handoff of of the baton and, and that handoff from the person that went before them. That's so key to the race, which makes, I think, the illustration so essential to today's story. And so it says in verse 3 and 4, 
And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. What Jacob is doing here with Joseph and his grandsons is this. He's saying, listen up, grandkids. And then he tells them his story. He tells them his story. He tells them really his testimony. He says, I've run my race and now you guys need to run your race. And don't worry. Don't worry, because God's going to be with you. This is what Jacob's telling him. He's saying, boys, we can depend upon God. Boys, you can depend upon God. I won't be with you any longer. That's okay. God's going to be with you. And this is, this is so important. I used to be terrified. I used to be really scared and freaked out when I was younger. 17, 18, 19, 20. At the thought of my mother dying. I had such a close relationship with her. I have such a close relationship with her, I should say. And I leaned on her and I relied on her for so many things. And sometimes I remember praying like, God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that next chapter. I don't know what I would do without my mom. And it used to really upset me at that thought. But the truth is, the more I realized what Jacob is saying here, the better and the more confident that I felt. Not, not confidence in myself, but confidence in God. God will get you through. You can trust him, church. He'll take care of you. He'll be there for you no matter what. That's what, that's what Jacob's trying to convey here to Joseph and his grandsons. And so the, the story continues in verse 5. It says, and now... Joseph, your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. As Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. In verse 6, Joseph's two boys get the position not as grandsons, but as sons. Jacob names Reuben and Simeon by means of comparison because Reuben and Simeon were his two eldest sons. They're also two of his problem children. And the idea is just as Reuben and Simeon are in line to receive an inheritance, so too would Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They will have the full status as Jacob's sons, not merely as his grandsons. And the point that is being made here in this scene is this. Jacob is making the necessary preparations for what happens after he dies. Jacob has a plan in place. Jacob isn't merely just winging this. He's, he's taking great care to make sure that the metaphorical handoff of the baton to those who come behind him goes smoothly. And, and this, of course, raises, I think, some really good questions. Do you have a plan? Have you made preparations for your death? Plans, guys, they're not bad things. And if you have a plan, that's great, but is it written down? Does the family know the plan? Does anybody know the plan? Not bad things to consider. Not bad things to think about because you're going to die. Every single one of us is going to be dead in the next hundred years. 
And many of us, we don't really stop to consider that because you guys are relatively young and we always think we have more time. But we don't really know if we do or not. We just assume that we'll wake up in the morning because we woke up this morning. And we don't give it any thought when we do wake up. And the truth is when we do wake up, we are one day closer to death. And so I'll ask the question, do you have a plan when that day comes? Furthermore, when it comes to plans and preparations, there is there's nothing more significant than being sure that you're prepared to meet God. I'd say that's the smartest, wisest thing you could possibly do. This is what the psalmist would say. Psalm 90, verse 12, it's what he does say. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Are you prepared to meet him? Are you ready to meet him like Jacob? Like really ready? Not I think so. No, no. Are you ready? And so, verse 7 says this. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Epirath, and I buried her on the way to Epirath, that is Bethlehem. Here in verse 7, he starts talking about his wife, Rachel, which might seem a little odd or, or misplaced at first, because surely he's, he's not informing Joseph that she's dead for the very first time. He would have certainly found this out years earlier, prior when his, when his brothers and his family showed up. But furthermore, I don't believe Jacob is simply babbling and making pointless references to Rachel without any weight or relevance. Rather, Jacob is, Jacob's talking about her at this point in the story because even as an old man, 147 years of age and counting, he misses her. In, in essence, what, what he's saying is he says, Joseph, man, I really miss your mom. I remember the last time I saw her. Remember when I had to say goodbye to her. Remember when I had to bury her. Just as you're going to have to do with me very shortly. And here's the cool thing about this. I think it's really special to see the warmth that, that Jacob has here for Rachel. It's really special. Because his love for her, a husband's Love for his wife? That's a picture of the gospel. We know this, right? Or have you not heard that it was said? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Jacob is talking about Rachel, even though she isn't there any longer because he misses her. You want the big idea? Your children, your future children, they need to know that you love your spouse. And some of you guys, you guys grew up in homes that were so dysfunctional. And you constantly worried if mom and dad were going to get a divorce because they were always fighting. And for others of you, you didn't have to worry because you grew up like me. And your parents were always divorced from the time of your earliest memories. I'm telling you right now, your kids, your future kids, they need to know that mom and dad love each other. They shouldn't have to worry. They shouldn't have to feel anxious about the safety and the security of their family. So here's Jacob. Communicating this to Joseph and his grandsons. 
He still loves Rachel. He still misses Rachel. He hasn't forgotten about Rachel. And if you've never had parents talk or communicate like that, that's okay. That's okay. Just don't be like them. Be like Jacob. Be different. Well, we look at verse 8. And it says, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, well, these are my sons whom God has given me. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I, I may bless them. And now the eyes of Israel, they were, they were dim with age. He couldn't see very well, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. Here he is, grandpa's hugging the kids, kissing the kids. And I want to say very clearly, it's a really good thing to show appropriate affection to your children and your grandchildren. It's a really good thing. The, the sad reality for many of us, you don't know what this looks like because you were shown inappropriate physical, physical contact, be it sexual, be it violent, or some of you just none at all. Jacob is showing appropriate physical affection to his kids. Parents, future parents, you need to do this. You need to make sure you do this. And so verse 11, and Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. Right? You thought he was dead for years and years and years. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And he's been so good. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph is, is showing great deference and respect for his father in this scene. Verse 13, And Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob is praying this blessing. That's what he's doing here. And what he's saying is, not only guys have we been shepherds, God's been our shepherd. And without God's involvement in our lives, man, we're nothing. We would have sank. We would have drowned. We never would have made it. And then Jacob further depicts God as his delivering angel in verse 16. And then also notice the word in verse 16, the word redeemed. It's a very important theological term. And it occurs only here in Genesis. And Jacob here, he prays to God. And his prayer is that his descendants... That of Joseph, despite their Egyptian origins, will never lose sight. They will never lose sight. This is his prayer of their distinctiveness as the sons of Israel whose forebears were the recipients of the promises of God. And I think a concern for a lot of parents is exactly this. Their concern, just as Jacob is praying for his grandchildren, like, may they not forget, may they remember, may they always walk with God. That's the concern that a lot of people have for their kids, for their family members. And he prays that they would walk with God all their lives. And here's what I want to point out right here. Kids, 
Kids need to hear their, their parents pray. Kids need to hear their grandparents pray. And unfortunately today, a lot of parents and grandparents, they'll, they'll do this. They'll always talk about God, but they never actually talk to God. Don't be that person. Don't be the person that talks about the things of God without actually ever addressing God himself. Kids need to see their parents praying. They need to witness that. If you, like Jacob, want your kids, if you want your future kids on the right path, don't just talk about God without talking to God. And when you do talk to God, be sure you facilitate opportunities for your children in which they can witness this. And so... Praise this blessing upon them. And it says in verse 17, And when Joseph, when, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and moved it over to Ephraim's head, and his other hand to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not, not this way, my father, since, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Joseph is just like us right here. Joseph is just like us right here. He expects God to work in a certain way. He expects that the oldest of his two sons will receive the prominent blessing. And the thing about God that you need to understand from this text is that God, he likes to work in unconventional ways. I mean, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this seems to be a a regular pattern. And this is usually the part for many of us that we, I think we find very frustrating if we're honest because we're like, Joseph, in this way. And we're like, Dad, Dad, you're doing it wrong. Dad, you're messing it up. Dad, no, not like that. We're like, God, why would you let this person get elected? God, why would you let this bad thing happen to me? God, I didn't get the promotion. I should have got the promotion. God, I didn't get the job. I should have got the job. God, you didn't heal my family member who got sick, and I spent all that time praying. God, I did the right thing. I was the best significant other of the year, and then I still got dumped. And the truth is, you need to understand that God, at different times in our lives, will act outside our our understanding and our expectations, and that's okay. It's okay for God to act in a way that we just don't get, in a way that we just don't understand, in a way that we just don't expect Him to, because in that situation, there is only two possible explanations. And number one is that God, He needs to be enlightened. He needs to be educated. God needs to be corrected. God needs to align His will with ours. Or... We need to humble ourselves in faith and say, God, you do what seems best to you. And in the meantime, give me faith to trust what you say. Joseph is saying, Dad, this is how it's supposed to go. And his dad says, no, that's not what God wants, Joseph. See, half the time, the problem with us is that we don't want what God wants, because we cannot imagine a scenario in which God would act outside of our expectations and how that could possibly be a good thing. 
We can't even imagine that. And so, Joseph struggles with this just as we struggle with this. God's not cooperating. He's not acting the way he expects him to. And so he blessed them, verse 20. He blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. He says, son, I can't be here any longer. I gotta leave soon. But you're gonna be okay because God's never gonna leave you. He says, son, don't forget. Don't forget about the subsequent generations. Don't let them forget where our true home is. It's not your home, Christian. Like, no, I'm, I'm from the, the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's not your home. America is not your home. We forget that. He doesn't want Joseph to forget this. You see, when you come to the, the finish line that is your life, you want to be sure that God is there waiting for you. You want that. You want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. At the finish line, you want to have done your very best to be right with your family. At the finish line, you want to have done your very best to help set up the next generation financially. Sure. A wise man leaves inheritance to his children's children. Proverbs 13. Spiritually, oh, you better believe it. At the finish line, Jacob is really trying to relieve the burden for Joseph and his family. And unfortunately for a lot of people, their parents and their family end up just being a huge burden. Not lifting the burden, but being a huge burden on them. And some of you will say, in my family... We don't hug, and we don't touch, and, and that's fine. Just be sure to repent of that, because that's not right. And some of you will be like, well, well, in my family, we don't, we don't say I love you, or I'm proud of you, or anything like that. No, that mushy-gushy stuff, that, that's okay. Just be sure to repent of that. So I, I never had that as an example. That's okay. If you didn't have that example, be that example. Jacob here, at the end of his life, he's physically and emotionally present. And financially, he blesses Joseph with this additional piece of real estate. And here's the thing. I know many of you have never had a good example of what right looks like. That's okay. Be that example for your family. Be that example for your future family. Set the example. I still remember one story. Uh, there was a man who was diagnosed terminal cancer. Doc said, you, you got maybe a month or two left to live. And he spent those final months making sure that he did everything 
to help lift the burden from his family. He did everything he could to help set up his family, his will, his directives, his passwords, his life insurance. In other words, he wanted to be a burden lifter when death came knocking on his door. A few months later, the man died. And on his anniversary later that year, his wife received flowers. And every subsequent anniversary for the rest of her life with a love letter so that she would be encouraged and reminded of how much her husband loved her. It's beautiful. It's also a picture of the gospel. Or have you not heard it said? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. See, what that man did is what Jacob is doing here. And that is, he's discipling his sons. He's discipling his daughters. He's trying to show them with what little time he has left, this is what right looks like. And Jacob was far from perfect. He was far from perfect. He blew so much time. He wasted so much of his life and opportunity like many of us, he squandered some of the very best years of his life. There, there was a time in Jacob's life where he couldn't be bothered with the things of God because, well, you know, you got that girlfriend or that boyfriend or that school project or that career or that promotion that you're chasing or the next promotion. But see, here's the encouraging thing about Jacob. He didn't stay off course forever. He eventually got his act together. He eventually righted the ship that was his walk with God. And by the end of his life, here in chapter 48, it was very evident that he was walking in obedience and faith. And that should encourage each and every one of us. Especially for some of us who have veered off course. To say, you know what, I've squandered a lot of time and opportunity. And I've not been what right looks like, but today... Today I'm starting fresh. Today I'm starting over. I'm getting back on course today with my participation with the people of God that is the local church, with my Bible reading, with my battle against sin, with my relationships, with my never-ending excuses. Today, today's a new day. I may have wasted a lot of time this last semester, this last year, this last decade of my life. Today, today's a new day, and I'm making up for lost time. And that's only possible because of God's grace that we're given today, that we're given one more opportunity. And so as the team comes, I want to pray for us. We love you, God. You are so good to us. Lord, some of us uh, have squandered many good chapters in our life. And we've lost sight and we've forgotten where our real home is and what our real priority should be. Lord, for many of us, we've never had really good examples at all from our family. For others of us, God, we, we are so selfish and we think so one-dimensionally and we don't think about future or subsequent generations that come after us. And we have no plan 
Lord, I pray that we, each and every one of us, would be ready when death comes for us. That each and every one of us would be like our spiritual ancestor Jacob, ready to meet you on our last day. Because we just don't know when that is. And so I pray that we would join with the psalmist as he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, Lord. We, we want wisdom. We don't want to be foolish or stupid. We want to be wise, God. Make us wise. Make us like your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen.